Every life is a story. Some are bestsellers. I'm Chuck. I'm Karen. And this is Spy Stories. Who are you going to tell me about today, Karen? Today, we examine the story of Revolutionary War spy John Honeyman. Was he a spy? We're going to examine his story. This is going to be a different type of episode. Many historical accounts describe Honeyman as Washington's private spy and one of America's unsung heroes. But there are also a lot of historians out there that debunk the story and claim that John Honeyman was actually not a spy at all. Descendants of Honeyman argue that although there is scant evidence proving that the legend is true, there is just as little evidence proving them false. Well, isn't isn't that kind of like saying there's not a whole lot of evidence that I'm a werewolf, but there's not a whole lot of evidence saying I'm not a werewolf? Right. It's kind of like the whole, you, I'm not saying I'm Batman, but have you ever seen me and Batman in the same room? It's, it's that argument. Right. Yeah. Okay. The story goes that John Honeyman was born to a poor farming family in Arma, Ireland in 1729. Honeyman was also a soldier at the Battle of the Plains of Abraham in 1759, where British victory evolved into the creation of Canada. He was said to have served under General James Wolfe and even assisted with bearing the fallen wolf from the battlefield. The artwork General Wolfe killed at the Siege of of Quebec hangs in the Library of Congress, and Honeyman is said to be the redcoat holding him. Honeyman, who was described as a large Scotch-Irish man full of spirit, was a reluctant recruit who hated the label of redcoat and who had to be made to wear the uniform that he didn't respect. After Wolfe's death, Honeyman was honorably discharged and moved south. He took on various trades, weaving, dealing in cattle, and becoming a butcher, because everyone who starts out as a weaver ends up a butcher. That's just... So, sooner or later. Right, it's just the weaving natural... Weaving is a gateway. Right, it's the natural evolution of things. Uh-huh. Yeah. He married a young woman named Mary Henry, and in 1776, the couple and their young children moved to Grigstown, New Jersey. Now, the first dispute you have here is that the time that John was supposedly born, there's no record of the Honeyman family living in Alma. So there's no official certification of his birth or birthplace. One genealogist suggested John could be the son of Captain John Honeyman, who records show ended up in New York prior to 1746 and who carried out an expedition against Quebec that year. If the famed Honeyman was the son of Captain Honeyman, it would make sense for his son to follow in his father's footsteps. However, there's no evidence to support that part of the story that stated John's reluctance to serve or the detail that he was so high-spirited he had to be made to wear the uniform. Now, it's possible that such details would support the later narrative that a Scotch-Irish outsider would already be upset with the British before the Revolution. There are records that show a John Honeyman did marry a woman eight years his junior, whose name was in fact Mary, 
and that seven children were born to the couple, three of whom had arrived when the family moved to Gregstown. The story continues that in 1776, as Washington's weary forces were retreating into Pennsylvania, Honeyman arranged a private meeting with General Washington at Fort Lee in New Jersey. He managed this through a letter penned by Wolfe, a letter introducing Honeyman and backing up the soldier's passion for independence. The secret meeting was a quick one where the two men rapidly decided that Honeyman was to act as a spy for the American cause, but doing this while playing the part of a Tory. So basically, Honeyman was supposed to appear as a loyalist whenever he was around Americans, but once the British formally occupied the area, he was to find a way into the camp, and he did this as a supplier of meat and mutton, while carefully observing British plans and movements and reporting them back to Washington. Now, Washington's movements at that time show that a meeting like this one could have taken place. And it's also possible that a meeting between a low-ranking soldier and a general could take place based on the recommendation of a letter. The 18th century was a much smaller world and much more personal than we know today in modern times. Imagine just if like a low-ranking soldier wanted to have an audience with the president. I mean, not just in modern times in general. That would just the difference is, is amazing when you think about it. Well, he could have shot him a private message on Facebook. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that would have worked. Totally. Yeah. But anyway, there is absolutely no record of this meeting. And John Honeyman is not recorded in any of Washington's multitude of preserved correspondence or papers. The major historical problem is that at the time of this proposed meeting, Washington did not have a spy network set up yet. There was no courier or way for an agent in place behind enemy lines to transmit information back to the Americans. It wasn't until about 1777 that an espionage network began to take shape. Also, the whole Nathan Hale debacle had just occurred. Poor Nathan Hale. (laughs) Yeah, well, it had just occurred a couple months before that, and some important lessons were learned, mostly (laughs) by Nathan. Um, And they were still being learned from this experiment. The tradecraft of spying had simply not fully developed yet. Also, Washington's letters at the time show he was much more concerned about his number of troops and basic supplies than he was in developing intelligence. Right. This was at a time where I think that that stuff was pretty serious. Yeah. So he was just trying to stay alive. It was decided that once Honeyman gathered enough important intelligence, he would wander, just as if by accident, across enemy lines in order to be captured by the Americans. But once he was captured, he was supposed to fight valiantly for his freedom. It was also agreed that General Washington would offer a reward for Honeyman's arrest so that he would be brought right to the general's headquarters. Well... Honeyman brought the plan to fruition in December of 1776. John walked into Delaware under the guise of searching for lost cattle, and he did this until he came across two American scouts. He then engaged them in a dramatic chase. I I, I can't help but wonder what he did to engage them in this chase. Just like... Well, he probably zigzagged. 
<laughs> I mean, she's just like, hey, you can't catch me. I don't know. Just kind of brings up funny mental pictures. Anyway, as they seized him, he pretended to slip on ice and then attempted to wrestle himself from their grasp as he like lunged for a fence. Once he was pulled down, he struggled mightily against his captors who were dragging him to Washington's tent. Once there, the general requested the two of them be left alone, during which time the spy was debriefed. Afterwards, Washington declared punishment be court-martial and then for him to be hanged. Ah. Honeyman was then escorted to the prisoner tent. Well, coincidentally, a fire broke out that very night in an area that required Honeyman's guards to help fight the fire. Honeyman seized upon the opportune moment, and he escaped. Upon hearing the news, General Washington feigned anger at the guards' incompetence. You might say he even no, showed no, a, no, no, a no. fiery temper. Uh, I knew why. I said when we ran through this, please don't do that. But <laughs> go ahead. That his, his anger flamed up. Okay, I, I, we all got you, pun okay. lady. Okay. Okay. Well, such a daring escape is pretty exciting, but again, there's no historical evidence to back up the account. However, it's important to note that there is a lot of missing documentation regarding the events that took place at this time in history. They didn't have the internet. So one detail- <laughs> Or that, Facebook. Or Facebook. One detail right. that does line up with the story is that in late 1776, so 1777, it was called the Year of the Hangman because so many Tories were being court-martialed and hanged. Now, what doesn't add up is that there are letters from Washington to at least four different field officers asking them to, and I quote, cast about to find some person who can be engaged to cross the river as a spy that we may, if possible, obtain some knowledge of the enemy's situation, movements, and intentions. Particular inquiry to be made by the person sent if preparations are being made <laughs> to cross the river. Apparently, ink was free. I mean, it was hard to write back then. They were very wordy. Yeah. Almost as bad as Shakespeare, with like five sentences to say one thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, could you just write, hey, we need somebody to go check this out over here. Tell me what's going on. But he had to write all this. See if any boats are being built. Troops will be coming across land from Brunswick. In today's world, it would be like a text, like yeah, there'd be you a ready? little emojis, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little boat and a happy face, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the argument has been made that Honeyman could have been the spy needed to cross that river, but that would be specific to his mission, and it doesn't make sense for there to be four letters requesting the same thing. Although it does, because these guys love to hear themselves talk on paper. So anyway. <laughs> Also, the casting about scenario was familiar to Washington. It was the same method of recruitment that led to the capture of Nathan Hale. <laughs> right. But, you know, after what happened to Nathan Hale, you know, the 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 answer to the recruitment, like people being willing to go was totally different than that the would, first time. That would be a no, George. <laughs> They're like, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have but one life to give for my country, and I want to keep that, all right? 
<laughs> right, right. Well, after Honeyman's capture and his daring escape, the family home was plagued with derision and harassment from those who used to be their neighbors and friends. An angry patriot mob was surrounding Honeyman's home, and they all gathered around at night. They had fire. It was the whole thing. They were threatening the family with harm and possible death. And then Mary Honeyman appeared with a letter clenched in her hand, which she had someone read the crowd. To the good people of New Jersey and all others whom it may concern. I guess those were the bad people. Bad people of of New New Jersey. Jersey, yeah. Yeah. It is hereby ordered that the wife and children of John Honeyman of Grigstown, that notorious Tory, now within the British lines and probably acting the part of a spy, shall be and hereby are protected from all harm and annoyance. I want a letter protecting me from all annoyance from every quarter until further orders. But this furnishes no protection to Honeyman himself. George Washington, commander in chief. The crowd, amazed and chagrined, dispersed, and the family was spared. You know she went she wrote that herself. She just <laughs> the ink was still wet on it. It was like all smudged <laughs> when she came out. Well, so many people couldn't read that somebody could say any that it said anything. Yeah, you I could mean, have held up paper with just scribble anything, just lines on it. And right. I am king. I, I declare bankruptcy. Well, anyway, just like the rest of the story, and although claimed to be a treasured family document, there's no evidence that this letter existed. So obviously it wasn't that treasured because they don't have it now. But right. That's okay. What does make sense is that General Washington made it a practice to protect the wives and children of criminals. Even Benedict Arnold's family was protected by Washington, and we know what a scurvy weasel he was. Not he was, she was. Oh, you mean Benedict. Yeah. (laughs) I think we're talking about Washington. (laughs) I'm not. I'm a little out of it tonight. (laughs) Sorry about that. Oops. After his escape... Honeyman surrendered himself to the British, and he again entered the enemy camp. After sharing the details of his dramatic escape, the brave soldier asked to have audience with Colonel Rawl. Upon meeting with Rawl, Honeyman went on to say that Washington's troops were demoralized to the point of breaking and were in no condition to attack. Rawl, excited by this news, is said to have exclaimed, no danger will be apprehended from that quarter to come, which that estimation would prove to be pretty fatal for him. Honeyman, aware of the time-sensitive nature of his ruse, vanished until the end of the war. In 1783, he returned to his home a hero. Once vilified by his community as a traitor, he was now exalted as victor. John Honeyman lived to be 93 years old, and he became a prosperous farmer in the neighboring village of Lannington, where he moved from Grigstown 10 years after the war. There were reports that the government rewarded him for his service, but again, there are incomplete records of the time, and that sort of fails to support the claims. And once again, there's not a shred of documentation to back this up. There's not even a rumor to back up this story. All we, well, really, all we have is a rumor. The whole framework here is the idea that Washington dispatched Honeyman 
to convince the enemy weeks before posing as a Tory, all with the intent of mounting an attack on Raw. But history simply doesn't back that implication. Washington actually took a very impulsive and risky opportunity when he decided to surprise Raw, and the attack was only successful because Hessian patrols, rumored to be drunk at the time, remember they were hired mercenaries rather than true believers. Okay, to be fair, other historians say that that's just a rumor about the being drunk thing, that they were actually just really exhausted. They were exhausted from drinking, from bending their elbows. That's what they were exhausted (laughs) from. But anyway, they didn't discover the invasion until it was too late. The whole thing was an example of seizing opportunity rather than a grand strategy. Well, the traditional Honeyman story was first publicized not after the Revolutionary War, but after the Civil War. And it was published in a monthly magazine titled Our Home. And ironically enough, that publication was edited by someone by the name of A. Van Doren Honeyman. So, fake news. Fake news. A little bit of bias there. The article was written by Judge John Van Dyke, who was Honeyman's grandson. Van Dyke grew up to be a three-time mayor of New Brunswick, a two-time congressman, and a one-time justice of the Supreme Court of New Jersey. The riveting account of espionage that told the story of his grandfather's life was titled An Unwritten Account of a Spy of Washington. That's not a very good title if you think about it because it was now being written. Once they put it to paper, it was a written account of a spy. So it should be a newly written account of a a previously Previously unwritten unwritten account. account. Yeah. Yes, they clearly. They should really consult us before they do these things. Clearly, that was a self published book. Not because really, <laughs> no editor would let it be, let that get by him. Even well, me. the editor that was related to Judge Van Dyke, yeah. I guess, would let it go through. If your publisher is your relative, perhaps it goes through. Well, we do know this: the timing of the article was very important. Yes, it was. The newly unified nation was trying to harken back to the revolution and the founders in order to find common cause between the Unionists and Confederates. Were they trying to make America great again? They were. They were. They were trying to go back to better days like we are now in the 50s. John Honeyman was a hero all could rally behind without controversy. Wouldn't it be nice to have that now? Well, you'd have to have a fake guy just like they did. (laughs) A fake story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Although Van Dyke dramatized the story, he claimed to get the story from his Aunt Jane and that it was factual. In fact, he had somebody check it and say that it was a very factual story. So, Do you have an Aunt Jane? Because I've got an Aunt Jane. I don't believe anything she tells me. (laughs) Well, he got his story from his Aunt Jane. And Jane was John Honeyman's oldest daughter. Now, Jane was 10 or 11 at the time that the whole story was to have taken place. So when the whole incident happened with the neighbors and their torches and their we're going to burn your house down thing. Yeah, Yeah, that's when she was about 10 or 11. Well, Aunt Jane was the sole source of Honeyman's adventures as a spy. She was the only child of John Honeyman who never married. And she was described as... 
This is unfortunate. Large in frame and badly club-footed in both feet. Hmm. Yeah. She was a dressmaker, but had grace of manners. Well, I mean. There you go. At least there was grace in some way. And intelligence beyond her other sisters. So she was well-loved and well-liked. She lived with family members and was said to entertain her nieces and nephews with exciting stories about family history. Another interesting tidbit is that around the time of John Honeyman's death, a very popular book was making the rounds. It was actually a year before he died, I believe. A book by the author James Fenimore Cooper, and this was before The Last of the Mohicans or The Deerslayer, he wrote a book titled The Spy, A Tale of the Neutral Ground. Now, he's not... he. Fenimore was not... Fenimore Cooper was not very proud of this book. In fact, it was written on a bet with his sister. So, but the book is considered the first novel about U.S. espionage. So you can imagine that it was pretty popular because it was very new and exciting at the time. The book was about a faithful spy who served Washington during the revolution. So it's not too hard to imagine that a lonely but lively storyteller who with the heart of a young girl who was wounded by her patriot neighbor's insults over her father's job of providing meat for the British, might take from Cooper's story to embellish her own. But it's also altogether possible that Jane recounted a true story of her father helping shape history. We really don't know. Well, there's one thing that we do know. One important thing to remember here. Mm -hmm. George Washington was a spy master. I mean, we, we talked about it in some of the other episodes that the British said they didn't get beat. They were outspied. They weren't outfought. Right. They were outspied. So Washington really, really knew his spying. And he was known to have a very guarded approach to security and formal records identifying sources and methods were not routinely kept, particularly during the phase of the war when he was being chased about the colonies. So anyway, researchers studying Washington's official records and those of other army commanders in the Continental Congress find few specifics of intelligence activities other than scouting and recon at this time. So that certainly does not mean that more formalized spying wasn't utilized. Right. But I mean, really at that time, that's mostly what spying was, though, was scouting and recon, right? Well, it depends on if you're a Hercules Mulligan or right. John I guess Andre. there were, yeah. I guess there were some acts of sabotage. Don't do it. Come on. No. <sighs> All right, everybody listening, say it with me: sabotage, sabotage, sabotage. Thank you. Can you imagine how frustrating it would have been, though, really, for Honeyman and his family if the stories were true? I mean, just being told by historians that it wasn't be really frustrating. Would, would it frustrate you? No, I'm not one of those people who need glory or fame, really, or credit. Oh, that's right. Things. You're a very humble person. Yeah. I, yeah. True. I mean, I just, I'm. You are nothing if not humble. I go about my job and I just, a good uh, job well done is its own reward for me, really. So if you were a spy that changed the course of history, you wouldn't tell anyone? No, I'd be a good spy and keep my mouth quiet, keep my mouth closed. Hmm. Well, 
I think it might have been very frustrating for him. At least people think that it was because there are rumors that the spirit of John walks about Lanington Cemetery in New Jersey. In fact, a 1980s photo was published in the Black River Journal, and it captured a misty area around Honeyman's grave that is rumored to prove that that is the ghost of John Honeyman. Ooh. The haunting of Honeyman. Do you you believe it's true? You think it's true? Nope, I do not. (laughs) I don't either. I think it was dust on a lens, but hey. That's okay. Honeyman's current marker, his current grave marker, is a 2005 replacement of the original. The grave is lined with small American flags that recognize all veterans of the Revolutionary War. We don't know if John Honeyman earned those flags, but we would rather err on the side that he did rather than be remiss and say that he didn't. If you like the show and would like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. You can become a Patreon supporter. You can find us at Patreon under Spy Stories. You can tell your friends about our show. You can share our episodes. You can leave us positive reviews on iTunes. We have a Facebook group, Spy Stories Podcast. John Honeyman was a son, a soldier, a husband, a father, a grandfather, a jack-of-all-trades, and a man that taught his family the value of legacy. And that family believes wholeheartedly that he was a spy. And who are we to say that he wasn't? Perhaps he was just so good at his job that we'll never know the whole story. And that he truly did embody what Harriet the Spy says. Life is hard, but a good spy gets in there and fights. And until next week, keep fighting. Thank <laughs> you.